This is Life, Body, Business, Impact with Fatima. Welcome, friends. I'm so grateful to have you here. I'm your host, Fatima Ingalls, fitness expert, best-selling author, lifestyle entrepreneur, founder of the Life, Body, Business, Fit Systems, and co-founder of the amazing Freedom Retreats. My mission is to positively impact 10 million lives, to inspire you to wake up and live from your bucket list of dreams instead of waking up one day with a bucket list of regrets. Get ready to be inspired with weekly episodes and interviews that disrupt your thinking and motivate you to build your best life, body and business. To change one life is to change many. So come with me now and let's get started with yours. Hey there, friends. Welcome to another episode and another interview. Today, I'm chatting with Stefanos Sifandos, who is now US-based, but Steph is of Greek-Australian background. Stefanos is a passionate coach that's heavily invested in creating a new paradigm of powerful and healthy masculinity. This is a topic I'm looking forward to discussing in this interview. He has worked with men from all around the globe, including elite special forces soldiers, Olympic gold medalists, and some of the best fighters, as in multiple world-class fighters, world champions. Stefanos' methods merge the best of Eastern and Western methodologies and philosophies to promote balance, sacredness, and power in life. And he has also had quite the personal story that we are going to hear all about in this interview, including childhood and relationships and where he is at right now. So some months ago, I was blessed enough to connect with Stefanos via Instagram. And because I loved the message of healthy masculinity he was sharing so much, I invited him onto the show. So here we are. Hey, Stefanos. Welcome and thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I'm excited to have you here as well. So why don't we start with a little bit about your journey? So how does a Greek Aussie end up in California? What brought you to this point? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, what's brought me here is my my beautiful beloved, my fiance Christine Hassler, and she's American. And we decided that the best course for us to take at this point would be to to live here. And I was very excited about that. She was very excited about that. And we effectively split our time, and we'll be splitting our time more between um, USA and Australia. Oh, that's exciting to hear because that's something I had wanted to ask you if you were coming back to Australia to do, absolutely. Um, which we'll get into a little bit later, but some of the workshops that you run if you're going to be coming back and offering them in Australia. So that's yes, great to definitely. know. Yeah. So how did you get to the point that you're at? Tell us a little bit about your background journey and why is it that you are so passionate about working with men and healthy masculinity? So for me, I, I, I had some healthy male role models, but they were really in the shadow of what was prominent in my life. And so for me, it was a struggle to really connect to healthy masculine men. My father wasn't a healthy masculine man. Uh, he was autocratic. He was oppressive, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, temperamental, volatile. He hadn't, for lack of a better term, hadn't done his inner work, hasn't done his inner work, should I say, and and really didn't know how to relate effectively when under pressure. The only way, he, he had one gear and that was intensity. He only knew how to be uh, hyper-aggressive or be very angry 
or or just handle the situation with with violence and with force and so that was that was really greatly my um my example of what it meant to be a man i had i had grandfathers my my paternal grandfather died quite young and uh, when I was quite young, sorry. Um, and so whilst I remember him, there wasn't a great deal of contact. And my um, maternal grandparent, my father, my grandfather, who I was very close with and looked after in my later years, him and my grandmother, my maternal grandparents, um, and, and was very, very close. He was really a very passive man, very gentle, very compassionate and open to heart, but very passive and didn't really speak his truth and didn't really communicate what he needed um, in order to, to make him a happier person. So that wasn't a very healthy example either. Although you know, in saying that, he was an extraordinary man. Uh, when he passed away, I mean, the, in my opinion, the world lost uh, a, a great human being. And I know I'm biased when I say that, but it, it was – he was a beautiful man in so many different ways. And so I didn't have that healthy upbringing. I now really have – I had a number of teachers obviously growing up and, and a couple of male teachers that I, I did really connect with. And at the same time, I was so disparate in my relating and I was so moving through so many deep transitions that I didn't really appreciate that at the time. And I just didn't know myself. And, and so I went from being a very meek, passive person um, or child, really, because I was scared all the time w- with my father and just, you know, like even just coughing would be an issue. Literally, uh, if I had a, a, a cold or I had a chill or I was unwell and I was coughing excessively, m- my father, if he was in a bad mood, he would just – uh, he would be so angry at myself and my brother, you know, or be so angry at me. And so there was there was difficulty in that growing up. And in saying all of that, it, I wouldn't change anything because of the lessons it's taught me and the teaching, the wisdom that I've gained from it after many years of not reflecting and not and not healing that pain and trauma and wounding and then healing it, it's been tremendous. And the, the, the contrast that I've experienced because of that and the deep teaching, learning that's come from the contrast has been remarkable because I've, I've chosen, albeit, you know, quote unquote late, I chose to go into that. And so as a child, I was very passive and very withdrawn, wore many different masks. And then as a teenager, I still wore many different masks, but the opposite end of the spectrum, very aggressive, basically became my father, very volatile, very violent, um, you know, took up fighting, was, was fighting on the streets, was just alcoholism, whatever I could do to suppress, you know, pornography played a role as well. Um, in, in certain areas or parts of my life, expressions of my life, whatever I could do to, 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 uh, suppress that, that unconscious trauma that I just didn't want to feel and that pain that I experienced. And so I really went out into the world and, and, and didn't really know who I was, but was pretending to be whatever I thought a man needed to be in, in that space. And, and again, you know, I said pornography, alcoholism, workholism as well. Um, that played a role in certain expressions, uh, extreme fitness. So really throwing myself into pushing my body and challenging my body in order to just fatigue my mind and my body. So I wouldn't have to focus on the, the bubbling feelings that were coming up because there were patterns in my relationships that were playing out similarly to what I experienced as a child that I was just ignoring. I didn't want to look at because it was too, too confronting. The ego was, didn't want to know about it. My ego didn't want to know about it. And my pain body didn't want to know about it. And so from that, from that place, I really, I didn't know what a man was. And it wasn't until a few years ago that 
I was in a relationship with a woman and, and that came undone and she discovered that I was unfaithful, extremely unfaithful in that relationship. And observing the pain in her triggered something in me. It brought up memories of when I was younger, watching and observing the interaction between my mother and my father. And I, I just, I couldn't just keep living this life anymore. I just could not, I just could not continue to live this life. I just couldn't. And I had to make some changes. And so I, I, I set myself on a journey to do that. And I went deep uh, and I continue to go deep, but I, I went deep to make massive massive efforts in transforming everything I thought um, was real and everything I thought I had to be in order to be a valuable contributing human to this earth and and what type of man did I really want to be. So I went, I went deep into all of that. Wow, that is amazing. Firstly, I want to say thank you for sharing so much personal um, story about what you have been through and there's so much vulnerability in all of that. And I'm sure that many men and women can resonate with what you have said and have had experiences mm. on one side or other of that coin. I know I personally have experienced men like that yeah. in my life and can absolutely relate. So firstly, I want to ask, what is your relationship with your father? Is, is he still with us? Do you have a relationship with him? Yes, I do. He is still with us. He's still alive, and I do have a relationship with him. And and I always say forgiveness is an in, inside inside job. Um, and so I I I went through many different phases of understanding and accepting and recognizing and realizing and what was actually going on there. Our relationship is is healthy now. There isn't there aren't any issues in our relationship because not because he's recognized that. But because for me, I've detached from having an expectation of how I need him to be. And I've healed. I've done the work to heal the trauma of the past. And as a kid, a child doesn't want to hear, oh, your father's ignorant or your father doesn't know. He, he lacks awareness, but he means well. And he does. He has a beautiful heart. And there are times I remember him being loving as well. I, unfortunately, they were, again, shattered and far few in between the times where he was violent and volatile and very angry and just not, not in a healthy mood and not connected to his children and his family and not connected to himself. But as I've grown and as I've done that, done that awareness work around that, I've realized so much and his background and his upbringing and where he's come from and, and his pain points and his feelings of isolation and, and aloneness as well, which, which I, I experienced massively as a child because I just never felt understood and never felt heard never felt seen um, by those that mattered for me you know mattered to me I wanted that approval of the father and then you know there were, there were also times around that you know the mother wounding where I was very angry at my mother for not sticking up for us and defending us and or leaving my dad or doing something more or or, or, or controlling him or whatever you know and and, and I, lo I lost a lot of that um and I forgave a lot of that because I realized so much. I and mean, that's a deeper conversation. I'm just giving you the sort of broad yeah. brushstrokes overview. But that, that was a big part of all of it as well. I can, again, absolutely relate to that. And mm. and the thing is, so many adults become adults that, that are fractured and hurt. And so many things are linked back to mother and father complex and mm part of you you can see through what you've just shared with us part of your healing and growing and learning journey has been to to recognize that and to forgive and to take responsibility for your own life because it is true that you know most parents uh, I realize this myself being a parent and obviously being being a child with our own issues 
their intentions come from a good place and there are paradigms. You talk about wanting to change the paradigms with healthy masculinity. Well, there are Mm. paradigms that are generational that are coming down the line. So each and every one of us as adults, I believe, needs to step up and, and decide to take responsibility for where they are at in their life and stop the blaming of the parents because at the end of the day, most parents, not all, have done what they've done with the experiences that that they've had, with the programming that they've had, but usually coming from a good place, even with all their messed up mistakes. You talked about validation and wearing masks as a young person. So many, not just men, but women are looking for validation in in the world and society these days. What do you say to people like that? What, What do you say when you're working with a client and you can see that validation is a major issue because I don't know if it's more in men or women. I think it's probably, you know, across the board that humans are constantly looking for external validation. It doesn't matter however they go and validate themselves. It's not long lasting if they can't validate from inside. What What's your take on that, Steph? My take on that is that if we seek external validation, in other words, if we, we if we place our sense of worth or happiness or any emotional state that we wish to experience in the hands of others, we're giving our power away and we're disempowering our ability to create that for ourselves or being greater mastery of our own emotional expressions. And so that's known as, to, at, at some level, really um, uh, codependence. And so if we cultivate that habit of codependence, we're consistently pursuing joy and happiness and, again, goals and objectives that we wish to experience and pursue, embodiment practices as well that we wish to experience, excuse me, outside of ourselves. And doing that outside of ourselves, we're we're destined for failure. We may hit the mark every now and then. Sure, someone someone pays us some attention, and we feel we feel flattered, and and we we feel elated in that moment. And the next day, if they don't pay us that attention that we yearn for, or that, that that our biochemical being craves for, then what? Then we 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 slump into depression. And so we experience these these peaks and troughs that we have no control over, or no mastery over, or no connection to. And so for me, I, I played that game for so so long. And even now, when we're human beings, the reality is there's so much influence that. Comes comes from our environment, whether it be our relationships, whether it be what's happening in the natural environment, the geopolitical scene, uh, socioeconomics. I mean, it would be very difficult for most people to to be completely bankrupt one day and the next day have $1 billion in the bank and not have an emotional response or reaction to that. It's very few people are going to say, oh, that's good. I'm okay with that. I'm bankrupt today. I'm okay with that. I've got a billion dollars in my bank tomorrow. I'm okay with that. I have loving people around me. That's wonderful. I have no one. I feel alone. That's also wonderful. Very few people would, and I'm not talking about being emotionally stunted that we carry no emotional intelligence. I'm talking about the way we actually relate to life events. And so this is, for me, this is part of humanity's journey individually and collectively is to come into greater mastery of what is reality. And I don't want to get too esoteric here or too much into quantum physics or, or any, anywhere like that. But, but this is, this is a big part of, how can we be more profound human beings and really live into our potential and not be so deeply affected by the small events or even the large events that happen in our lives and breathe through that and know that it's temporal 
And what is what does that ethos give us when we understand that it's temporal and we can move through particular events and that we can allow safely ourselves to feel anger or frustration or jealousy or pain or fear and know that that can be over and it's not going to last forever. And so we don't become so attached to how other people are behaving or how our environment is treating us for us to be happy or for us to feel peace within ourselves. When I say happy, joy, bliss, peace, these are desirable states of being. Fear, anger, aggression, rage, jealousy, rage, sorry, not rage. Um, these are undesirable states of being. However, they still teach us something deep about the human condition, ourselves and relationships. So it's how we relate to all of this that's very, very important. Yeah, that's a really, really good point is the, is the, the relating to all of this because like you said, there are so many lessons to be learnt from all of it. And being happy and joyful, I think sometimes – People misinterpret that to mean that you, you know, have got a big smile on your face all the time and you're bouncing with energy. I think personally being in a place that uh, I am happy and joyful doesn't mean that I don't have down days and, you know, moments of anger and and upset. But Mm. overall, I'm in a place of, I guess what I would call bliss, still growing, still learning, understanding that there really isn't a destination. It is this it life is a journey and the exciting Mm. thing is all these lessons that you have been talking about is the opportunity to go ah that's why I did that wow this is what makes me tick or Mm. you know you talked about going from zero to a billion dollars in in I guess your emotional bank that's a really great perspective as well in terms of the work that you have to do you aren't going to go from being really disempowered to beautifully empowered overnight it's going to take time and work on yourself so Mm. speaking of that how do you take people how would you suggest people start their journey to go from a place of disempowerment and codependency needing that validation needing those compliments to a place where they are empowered and can go well you know thank you for the compliment Accept it gracefully, but not actually feel like they need it to make them feel validated and fulfilled as a person. Mm. Three things come to mind immediately. Number one is be curious. Be curious to know and feel and experience directly what's beyond your current state of affairs, what's beyond where you are and where you live right now. The second is to ask the question, around what gives me happiness or joy or a desirable emotion or desirable state that I that I enjoy experiencing how can I create that for myself with minimal input minimal not zero because that doesn't work like that but minimal input and and severe dependence on others or on events so how can I create that for myself and just asking that question and seeking earnestly an answer or a response to that, that's powerful. And the third part, after we, we, we start that, that process, is just do the work. Just do the fucking work. It's as simple as that. In other words, look at your history. Look at your pain. Look at your trauma. Look at your patterns where you're com- consistently uncomfortable. Look at your previous relationships. What patterns do they give you when you're in when you're in disarray or when you're in adversity in that relationship? How are you showing up and behaving that's consistent? That's not actually really getting you what you want. So what's your role in that as a, as an individual and as a contributing soul to that dynamic? Do the work. You know, g- go deeper into creating the life that you want. 
whether that's how you speak to yourself, whether that's uh, changing your physical environment. That's so important. Whether it's pursuing that that entrepreneurial venture that you've always wanted to, but you're stuck in a job and uh, you know an eight to six job that you absolutely hate, make some changes in your life that obviously are not conducive to your growth and not going to put you in in, in disharmony or, or in in massive deficit. But begin to actually make some changes. Do the work. They're, they're the first three three steps that that, will, that come to mind when when you ask that question. Yeah, thank you for those great, great action items there. And, you know, you repeated do the work. And that's the thing these days, we often look for quick, fast ways or, you know, the quick fix pill, which does not exist. If you want change, you have to do the work. You've got, you've got to basically get down in the trenches and that may involve, not may, I think it really does involve um, sitting and feeling the ugly feelings and the uncomfortable things that do come up when you do yeah. this work yeah but I think yeah, you would agree sure. that you know the the reward is absolutely 1000% worth it oh so worth it so deeply deeply worth it absolutely guys if you haven't already I'm going to pop links in in the notes but absolutely go and follow Stefanos I mean we've still got a little bit to go with this interview but this man knows his stuff has he walks the walk and talks the talk. So definitely go and listen to him. We're going to shift gears a little bit, still still around masculinity and men's health, but let's talk about suicide. Suicide yeah. rates are just skyrocketing. I mean, in 2017, the number of deaths of self-harm just in Australia was over 3,000. Now, according to statistics, 75% of them were men. So yeah. being obviously a, a lover of humanity and a mother of three sons, this mm. is really, really um, important. And I'm sure everyone out there knows someone who has committed suicide or whose life has been touched by suicide. It's actually now the leading cause of death in Australia for men aged between 15 to 44. Now, you've talked about having suicidal thoughts. Let's talk about that a little bit. What happened for you? Yeah, for me, it was it was you know, if we link it back to that, essentially an a, a, an expression of of deep and codependence, where my life was crumbling around me, everything was crumbling around me that I thought was real. My ego, what, what, my relationships, my external relationships, some friendships, family dynamics. I was going deeper into revealing the pain and the trauma. I was coming face to face with this pain that I'd suppressed for. 22, 23, 24, 25, 27 years, 28 years, you know, just ex- ex- intense uh, suppression. And I felt my life was completely out of control. I thought I was I was losing my mind, literally, and I was. I was losing aspects of my, the mental constructs I'd, I'd created around my reality and, and who I was. And so the, the, the pain around that, the feeling around that as I was choosing to expose myself to such a deep pain and such deep um, loss and I was losing in the present moment. I was experiencing the loss of my childhood, loss of loss of being a kid, just playing without fear. Like I was experiencing so much. I was bringing all of that up consciously and deliberately. I have a background in, in behavioral science, social psychology, philosophy, and and so I was and then 
myriad techniques in in mind body modalities and i was leveraging all that but i was also seeking professional help to really help extract all of this out of me so i felt my whole world was caving in on me at a very rapid rate very very fast and that was scary and that was massively confronting massively confronting and so in doing that uh, for me, one of the legitimate choices I had was maybe I should commit suicide. Maybe this may be wow. a lot easier, <laughs> and and that's that's where I need to be right now. And it was a legitimate. It was a legitimate conversation, and it was a legit. It was a legitimate um, thought. <laughs> yeah. So it was you were wanting to escape the pain. Is that yeah. what it was? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was it was wanting to escape the pain and wanting to end the pain because it was so deep and I couldn't see a way out at the time. But in saying that, I could because I'm still here. And so I, I remember moments where I would just say to myself, okay, eight seconds at a time. Let's just take this eight seconds at a time. And so I would be with myself every eight seconds and I'd check in every eight seconds. I'd do this for some time. <laughs> hours and hours sometimes and just it would be instead of being can I get through the day can I get through the next eight seconds because that was very palatable for me and also knowing that I didn't want to commit suicide I didn't want to do that I didn't want to end my life I didn't want to end this expression of being human and being in this body I didn't want to end that I wanted to change things and so by changing things that for me meant can I shift this state that I'm experiencing rather than just going the easy way and committing suicide and ending consciousness or awareness or, or or whatever is real and true and reality and i tackled with those i i i wrestled with those notions extensively and there were many times where i would look at the magnetic board on my on my kitchen there were knives there and i just think i could just have a very traditional um samurai death here and i could i could use that knife and end my life and it would be it would be easy um and it would be honorable because you know i, I would justify we're very good at justifying things as human beings but it's not what i wanted to do and it's also one of the choices that I legitimately looked at because the pain was so intense. But as I breathed through that, as I as I had external support, and as I chose to support myself for the first time in my life and be more in, in be more independent within myself, all of that shifted over months. And then again, that was just one time. There was there was there's a couple of times that this has happened in my life where I've had massive, deep revelations, and I've had to go deep within myself. And in fact, the second time was more intense than the first time. And and I thought, okay, I'd, I'd be okay. But the, the second time was a deeper reckoning, um, and it was even more painful. Uh, and the, but the suicide, were, the tendencies and the thoughts were a lot less. Um, but they were still there as well as a legitimate potential. Wow, that is really really deep you talked about the eight seconds that you just breathe through things and I guess you're Mm. breaking it down into like you said palatable achievable bite a bite-sized piece Mm. to work Mm. through what you were going through so for people who have got suicidal thoughts and feel like they're in so much pain that they just want to escape the pain and like you said not necessarily leave this life in this world but just stop the pain what would you say to them? What's one or two things that you would tell them to do in those moments of intense pain? Go for a walk and be in nature. Go for and do them at the same time. That's the first thing. Go for a walk, be in nature, and just just be in awe of the majesty of nature. 
and then reach out to someone, whether it's a 1-800 helpline, whether it's a close friend, a family member, a therapist, a, a spiritual teacher, a spiritual healer, a massage therapist, reach out to someone, don't do this alone. I have a six-step cyclical process that I use for dealing with deep adversity, challenge, and pain. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a, I want to call it a, a a base version, and then there's a far more advanced version that I teach people when I work with them in a one-on-one capacity or in small groups or in even large groups when I'm teaching in my private retreats. Um, but the base level is is more than powerful enough, and it helps you deal with the cycle of emotions by cycling through them at appropriate times to help you get through it. But the first two things I would say is exercise. So just go for a walk. If, if lifting heavy weights or boxing or doing intense yoga or whatever it is is too difficult just go for a walk do some light yoga be in nature go to the beach plunge in the water in the in the water be in the mountains walk in the forest just be in nature go to a park and reach out to someone and continuously do that just continuously do that until you feel you have greater control of where you're at and know that it's temporal it is so temporal we can't see the forest through the trees when we're in it that's why you need outside help that you trust respect and revere that can help you with a different perspective it's and just it's one of the reasons through that absolutely. absolutely help you get through that moment um i mentioned before that and some of my listeners may or may not know that i have three sons but what i didn't mention is that my husband committed suicide well coming up 10 years this this july so, so i certainly wish yeah it's unfortunately it's what happens and and it was absolutely terrible and tragic and most tragic for my sons who are now growing up without um, a father in their life. But I wish that he had had someone and been able to turn to someone to help him through that moment of pain because, like you said, it is temporal. You can get through it, but it doesn't feel like it in those intense moments of pain. So thank you so much for sharing everything that you have shared so far. But I really want to speak to you about what men are struggling with and hurting with so much in society these days that is pushing those suicide rates, particularly for men, up. What is it that they are most having difficulty dealing with in today's day and age and and in their masculinity? And you've spoken about um, in past videos, manning up as opposed to manning in or manning in as opposed to manning up. Can you talk to mm. us a little bit about that? I've got, I've got just on, on, on that note, I've got an epic video coming out on that. I've been working on it with my with my editor. It's going to be, it's really cool. I'm really excited about it on, on the concept of manning up and manning in. And then I'm going to expand on that in, in various capacities. But I just want to make mention to that. But really honoring your question here, and this is a big, this is a big issue. So I have a private Facebook group. There's about 1,400, 1,500 men in that. And it's a very active private Facebook group just for men. Um, and you know, some of the biggest problems and issues that men are facing, I'm going to go through it now, um, is not aging. Number one is a big issue, big issue where they're aging and they're feeling really disconnected. And these all tie in together. So they're aging and they're feeling disconnected from society, their family, themselves and their bodies. And so aloneness, loneliness, isolation is a massive issue. Men not feeling they have anywhere to go to speak to, to share themselves, to, to, to speak about their sexuality, to speak about their desires or their needs, to speak about their pain points, to speak about them not being treated well to speak about this aggression or deep anger that they have within them like all of that there's just so much pain that they're experiencing um, around being alone and not having 
someone or, or a group of men or a group of people that they can speak to, not being understood. That's a massive issue for men. Rejection is a big issue for men as well. And humiliation is another one too. Abandonment. Men feel abandoned. And that ties into that aloneness, isolation. And, and this confusion in masculinity in today's times, men don't know who they need to be and how they need to be. They, they feel if they're too, if they're too much in their power, and not every man feels like this, of course, but so many men, if they're too much in their power, they're being oppressive and they're being abusive or they're being subjugating or they're being, um, they're, they're not being respectful. Um, and so the, men need to find a way to be powerful and not be subjugating and find a way to be powerful and not be autocratic and controlling and step in their power. You know, power is one of those words that we have an interesting relationship with as a collective, and I'm generalizing a little bit here, but for most time when I would use the word power and mention it in my writings and so forth, in my musings, very some people just don't, do not like it. They cannot handle that word power. They, 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 they feel, and because it's, it's tainted, that word power is tainted. And so we have to redefine that our relationship to power as very, very important, very important. Yeah, that was all really wonderful. I know you've spoken about the word powerful and for men not to be controlling. It must be so difficult these days because I guess the rise of femininity and women stepping into into their power that men are wondering, I think, how do they – how do they fit in this new world of women being more in their own masculine power and sometimes a little bit too much? I mean, I, I know I, for one, um, have been in a masculine energy for quite a long time because I felt mm. like I had to be and it was intimidating for some of the men that would come into my life because as a, you know, as the sole provider and protector of my three sons, I felt like I had to be strong and have a show of strength. So mm. how do men navigate this world and their healthy masculinity? How do they work that out? By being curious is the first is the first step. Being really, really curious and, and wanting to be the best version of themselves and not being passive. I mean, just because women are stepping into their power, why why does anyone need to be daunted by that? That's a beautiful thing. That's complementary to us. If we see it that way, if we if we take a perspective that way, I mean, even saying us, I, there are distinctions between men and women. I'm a big advocate of men and women being different, and there's nothing wrong with that. Men's brains are wired differently to women's brains and vice versa. Our biology is different. Our hormonal profiling is different. Our, our cultural inputs uh, to some degree, how we perceive culture and how we're treated in, in society, depending on where you go in the world, is different. And there's a great deal of sameness that occurs within the human condition as well. We we generally feel the same. We we share very similar and the same emotions and feelings. Um, the, the, we we also share very similar pra cultural practices, such as funerals, such as celebrating birth and life, such as uh, eating in a social setting and how we value that. But there's just so many things that we. Um, uh, there's so many things that, that are similar, but we, we're scared about around, okay, can we be different and celebrate that? Yes, we can. It's okay. It's okay for a woman to come into her power and whatever that looks like. Yes, it's very new in today's world. And can we be with that? Why, why should we be passive and meek and role reverse, so to speak? That, that's not going to be attractive to a woman. I, I've never met a woman in her healthy femininity that has said to me or that I've seen just in, in observing and I've worked with thousands of people and, and, and women and I, and I observe a great deal and I have been from a very young age 
and that was part of my own conditioning and, and because I had to be hyper-vigilant in, in my observation because I wanted to be safe. So I would pay attention to the nuances of how people behave. I've never met a woman that said to me, I want a weak man and I want to be powerful or more powerful than him. Never. Ne- never never met a woman in a healthy femininity that has said that. And I've never met a man in his healthy masculinity that doesn't advocate for his for the women in his life and for his, for his woman. And when I say his woman, I'm talking about ownership. That's another thing that we have a problem with. So I, I'm in a relationship, I'm her man, she's my woman. Do I own her? No. Do I own her actions? No. She's a sovereign, autonomous being. I support her. As she supports me, we encourage each other. If if she were to do something or act in a way that didn't serve me, I would have a conversation with her. I would I would be very direct and clear in that communication, as she would be with me. And just, just a couple of side notes. And so as a man, what is what a healthy masculine man wants the women in his life to be in their power because he knows very clearly that when that that tribe and that community is empowered together, everyone's growing. That's what healthy gender dynamics is really about. It is it is more collaboration than it is competitive. Competition exists, but it exists at a healthy level to promote the the group's interests, the tribe's interests as a collective. And to, to better ourselves as individuals, to challenge ourselves through support and through being challenged so that we can grow. Yeah, all, all wonderful points. I do agree, you know, there are some similarities in us as humans, but there are also differences that, that should be embraced between men and women and, and I guess communication and that respect. You said, you know, mm. she's your woman, you are her man. And that is okay as long as I guess it's coming from a place of, of loving and respecting each other and, and communication and, yeah. and maybe removing some of the, the ego that seems to plague our mm. society these days mm. and cause mm. havoc. For women, what can they do to support their men in coming into their healthy masculinity? What's a way that they can help them embrace that masculinity? I think the, the most effective place is non-judgment. And so he, here's something that's really interesting. The, hypocrisy exists for a number of reasons. One of the reasons hypocrisy exists actually is to fuel our growth and expand ourselves and move from an old state of being into a new state of being. And so let's assume I'm learning something new. Okay, at the moment um, I, I'm, really, I'm really deeply into um, Joe Dispenza. And I have been for many years, but more so lately. So I'm new, learning I'm new information. I'm a fan too. <laughs> yeah, big fan, big fan. So I'm learning new information from Joe. And as I'm applying this information in my life, old constructs and old parts of me are still attached to old ways of being. So I'm overtly stating, wow, this, this, this and that. And, you know, I'm talking about thoughts, I'm talking about feelings, I'm talking about um, electromagnetic signatures, I'm talking about coming together and being cohesive and, and focusing on the future self and embodying the future self in the present moment. I'm just giving you some ideas of what Joe would say. I'm paraphrasing yeah. to some extent. But then parts of me are still living in the past. So I'm being hypocritical. I'm saying one thing, sometimes doing it, but then other times I'm doing the opposite. And so we get slandered for that. We get slandered. Bear with the story for a moment. This makes sense in a second if it isn't already. Mm-hmm. We get slandered for being hypocritical, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I have a bit of a different view on that. And I'm like, if we could just take a breath and just pause for a moment and see beyond what's happening, just like if you're on the freeway and someone's racing past you, and and you start swearing and carrying on and thinking, what's this? What's this person doing? They're going 160 kilometers an hour. It's ridiculous. It's too far. 
What if they have someone dying in the background, in the, in the back seat, sorry? What if their wife is pregnant? We don't know. We, we, we take for granted the prima facie associations that we make. We think what we see is all there is and that's it. But there's so many more layers to, to what we only see through our physical senses. And so if we take a moment and look at the hypocrisy that's unraveling, because when, any, when anyone is making change, i.e. a man stepping into healthier versions of masculinity, he's going to want to make changes and his body's also going to be pulling him back into the old self because the ego's in the unconscious self, the unconscious resides in the body and so forth. And so the best thing a woman can do is be non-judgmental, compassionate, and understanding in that space. Because when she recognizes that her, her man or that man in her life is legitimately trying to make effort, is, is legitimately making effort to transform himself into a better version of himself for him, for his family, for his community, for the world, for his future version of self, for all the people he hasn't met yet, et cetera, et cetera. When she can meet that with non-judgment and compassion, that gives him support. When he feels supported, he feels empowered. When any human being feels supported, they feel empowered. When they feel empowered, they're more readily available to take action as opposed to retreating into what's comfortable. I better just do what I've always known, which is the old version of myself. So if I remain in that old version of self, it's safe. And guess what? Zero change. And so the best thing a woman can do is really see beyond that through her nurturing, compassionate, understanding eyes because the feminine does that so well. And give, give that man an opportunity to really change. Now, there are caveats to that. Of course, there are caveats to that, right? And, and one of the caveats to that is, is he, is it tokenistic or is he being real? Because if he's being false in his attempt to change to appease others or to, to have a, a hyper selfish gain, then no, fuck him. Don't, <laughs> forget about it. Push, push that away. That's not, that's not healthy because you've got to set healthy boundaries because then you're being taken advantage of. But when someone's legitimately trying to make changes, guess what? They're going to falter. They're going to quote-unquote fail. They're going to go in and out of old patterns. And if they're really there and they're doing their best, when we have support, our best becomes better and it becomes faster. And that's what I would say to that. And I know it's not easy. Sorry to interrupt you. I I know it's not easy. This is a very important point. Because women have experienced a great deal of oppression for many, many, for millennia. And so I know it's not easy. I see that. I only know it from my perspective, being who I am in my demographic and the, 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 the titles that I associate myself with in this world. I get it's not easy, and that's why it's so much more impactful and powerful, especially for men that are aware of that. I, I, when, when, when Christine shows up for me in a particular way and I know I'm behaving in a way that could be hurting her, but she holds that for me and knows that it's not intentional, of course, because I am in my healthy masculine, I see that and I acknowledge that and I embrace that and I, it makes me so much more inspired to, to be that man I want to be for myself, but also for her. And it, it's deeply inspiring. A healthy man will see that. You have to trust that. And thank you to all the women that do make those, those, that take those considerations on and, and still say, I forgive you and still say thank you and still say I love you and still say I see you because that's not easy because there's collective wounding there that we're working through. That's why we're all confused at the moment is because we're working through some pretty intense collective wounding that's coming to the surface. And that's not just for women. That's for men too in their own I, way. I agree. Um, it is absolutely for, for men and women and obviously you mentioned um, women nurturing and supporting their men and I believe for them to be able to do that, uh, they need to be in their own healthy femininity. So I guess a huge point, there are so many um, 
amazing points that you shared in there. And I'm sure people will take such value out of it, Stefanos. But I think if we all work on ourselves, you know, we can break that cycle because if I work on myself to be a healthy human, health, have healthy femininity and masculinity, I know that, you know, we have both, but, you know, I'm definitely more feminine. Um, I'm able to change the way I raise my son so that hopefully they will be able to step into life as adult men having more of a healthy relationship with their own masculinity mm. and therefore be able to be in relationships or be there for women who who need that same sort of thing, you know, vice versa. We need to to support each other like you described about your relationship with um with Christine. You know, you, you yeah. it's almost like a bit of a dance that's happening, isn't it? It is, yeah. In terms yeah, of it is, yeah, each other to grow through all of these pains that we have collectively. Yep. Yep. I, I really believe that. It, it is a dance. And it requires patience, so much patience, <laughs> so much. And it's beautiful. I mean, one of my philosophies is very simple. It's to change one life is to change many. And I say it over and over through, yeah. through my interviews and everything that I do because it really does. You start with changing yourself and you can have such an impact that you don't even have any idea how far that goes. And the sort of work that you are doing not only – on yourself and what you went through as a child and as a young adult and the lessons you have taken and learned even through all of that pain, how many lives you have been able to to touch and impact I think would be countless considering the amount of people that you have worked and, and each of those people being able to change their life and become um, healthy within themselves, whether it be their masculinity or femininity because I know that you've worked with mm. both men and women you know, it's it's absolutely amazing. Um, I really, really appreciate what you're doing. I thank just you. Wanted, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to touch on on one more point, and you talk about you you work with mix of Eastern and Western philosophies. So, what are your thoughts on the rite of passage from boys to men, and how that is affecting society these days? Because that's quite quite an Eastern concept, and I think. I think it's, you know, I think they got it right, you know, that men, have, boys have this rite of passage. They they don't become teenagers from what I understand in that sort of philosophy. They go from being a boy, leaving the home, and they come back a warrior, a man. But these mm. days that isn't happening. And going through raising sons and teenagers myself, you know, I keep looking more into this and I'm wondering if we've got something right uh, wrong in Western society because we've got these teenagers and I don't think that there really was teenagers in the past and these kids are uh, struggling with their with their identity and mm. working out their place in this world and I really believe it's affecting um, absolutely their masculinity and obviously the the suicide rates and and they're being their best healthy self. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are that we need to, as a society, make some changes in how we allow boys to move into manhood and move into higher and deeper levels of consciousness, how boys connect to their sexuality. This is an epidemic, um, not just boys but women as well, um, and teach boys appropriate ways to connect into their sexuality and express their sexuality out into the world. And we, we need 
elements of traditional rites of passage, because some of the rites of passage were pretty harsh, were really quite harsh. Some of the rites of passage yeah. were, I don't want to say they're, they're too harsh for today's age, but they're probably not super appropriate, <laughs> a little bit, maybe a little bit politically incorrect, yet there is value in that challenge. Essentially, a rite of passage has uh, various aspects to it that makes it an effective rite of passage. I'll, I'll go through some of them. So some of them are, one of them is being alone, but not being alone in terms of loneliness and isolation, but being in solitude where the, the young boy or young man actively chooses to be in solitude at some level, to know himself. It involves an element of deprivation, whether that be fasting, whether that be deprivation from social settings, so obviously being alone. There's, there's an element of, of taken away. So he, he things that he's familiar with are taken away, so he's stripped back, and all he has is his own sense of self, his mindset, his own sense of consciousness, his own voice to rely on. Another part of the rite of passage is having men supportive men, tribal elders or elders, men that have gone through this rite of passage that can also guide and and, and support this young man, even when he's on his own, through, through a connected spiritual sense or just helping him prepare for it. We lack a lot of that because so many fathers are absent. And having a group of brothers, of men, elderly men together that are helping that young man transition. Another element of the rite of passage is old to new. And clarifying with clarity, understanding with clarity, who does this boy want to be in the world? What's his purpose or what's his utility in the world? So many kids leave school or high school and have no idea what they want to be or what they want to do. And and I'm not saying you have to say, I want to be a fireman and I'm going to be a fireman for the next 80 years. No, it's not about that. Mm -hmm. But so many young men, young people are just so confused. And so that rite of passage helps clarify. There's some elements of the rite of passage. And so I, I, I do this with the courses that I have, with Reclaim Your Kingdom particularly, but also with, with the, the group that I'm, I'm a part of where there's, there's five of us that are key facilitators and, and men that actually take young men and boys and adults through rites of passage. We're called sacred sons and we, and we're doing some deep work really really deep work with men we're extracting the shadow where where they're immersive experiences either two three four days or even longer where we're constructing a longer rite of passage experience now that's going to be at least 10 to 12 days for young men and then one for um, men and fa- uh, fathers and, and sons as well like we're really going deep with this and and this is this is the work that needs to be done. It needs to be reintegrated back in society because young children are just a loss that's that's the truth of it they really, really are, and yeah. I am super excited about the work that you are doing. Um, you said, what, what was it called? Sacred Sons is the group that you've got. Sacred Sons, yeah. Sacred yeah. Sons. I was going to ask you if you were offering anything like that. So, what is the age limit for that? What age do these uh, boys, many, obviously men, adults, but what's the youngest age you take? Yeah, so with my programs, I, I take – ideally, I want them to be around minimum 12 or 13. Um, and for these rites of passage, it's around there as well, yeah. Well, yeah. let us know when you've got that happening in Australia because I have a couple of absolutely. sons that I would absolutely <laughs> love love to send um, send off to spend some time and, and learn all these wonderful things about themselves. So yeah, it's been wonderful yeah. having you, you on, Stefanos. Thank um, you. Where can people find you? I will pop it in the show notes, but if you want to just let everyone know the best way to follow you and find your program and tell us a little bit about the Reclaim Your Kingdom, the transformation program that you do have. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. So July 17th, we kick off. It's an eight-week online immersive for men from all around the world, and it's epic, and I'm very, very excited about it. And so what that looks like is a group of men getting together, together uh, learning learning about mindset and leadership and sexuality uh, and relationships and connecting and purpose and being on point and learning how to be a contemporary masculine man in today world um, and what that looks like what does healthy masculinity really look like and how do we go about defining that so there's a lot of power in that um, and that's essentially what we're what we're opening up and speaking to uh, there's uh, a, a four-part video series a free four-part video series that is packed full of massive value that I'm very very happy to give you the link to I'll, I'll send you the I'll send you the link no problem that'd be um, one yeah, and I'm very, very excited about that. And and then they can, I mean, I'll, I'll give you, two, and so reclaimyourkingdom.com is the is a link that they can go to, and that gives you a lot of information. But I also want to want to share with you the four part video series, which adds a lot of value as well to to a man's life. You can find me on social media, excuse me, Stephanos Safandos, or my website, stephanosafandos.com. Wonderful. I really appreciate everything that you have shared, your time. I am so excited for what you're actually doing out there in the world and the lives that you are impacting and changing with your work and through your own journey. I absolutely honour you and appreciate you for that. Do you have a closing message for the men and women listening? Just be willing. Be, Be really, really willing to do the work and be willing to see beyond your own historic conditioning and into the new. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Fazma. I really, really appreciate being here as well. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I truly hope you have found it beneficial and have taken some value from it. Hopefully, a lot. If you did, please, please share this show with anyone you feel may need to hear it. I would also absolutely love if you would take a minute or two to review this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever platform you happen to be listening to it on. With your help, we can accomplish my mission to positively impact 10 million lives. That would be so awesome. Now, if you want to connect with me or my guests on other platforms, or if you want to send me an email with questions or ideas of guests to interview, please check out the show notes. I am so incredibly grateful to have had your time today. And I can't wait to have you on the next episode. Have a great day.